0: Welcome to Private Club Radio, your weekly source for industry education, news and discussion. Broadcasting from Tampa, Florida, ladies and gentlemen, here is your host, Gabriel Aloisi.
1: Oh, I'm so pumped to be here with you on episode 170 of Private Club Radio. We're gonna be chatting about board issues in our edition of Board Chats presented by Concert Golf Partners. And we've got the amazing duo, of David Duval and Joseph Abeley of Club Board Professionals. And they were both featured in the ABCs of Plutonium Private Club Leadership, my new book. If you have not read it, there's two free chapters for you, just waiting for you to read over at plutonium.club. I would love it if you had a little look at that. And if you've already read it and loved it, why don't you leave a review on Amazon? That would really help us, Michael Crandall and myself, get this in front of more people who need to see this book. Once again, that is plutonium.club. And if you've read the book, go ahead and share that website with a colleague in the industry. That would be really, really wonderful. Well, we've got Dave Duvall and Joseph Abley, as I said, and I'm really excited to have them on because they really talk about some interesting things that happen behind closed doors of those boardrooms. And Peter, of course, they seen it all between the three of those guys, they have seen it all. And it's a wonderful conversation that we have. There were a little bit of, um, we had some bandwidth issues and so there's some, some not so great audio at some time. So I, I just ask that you bear with me because the content is so good. I want to make sure that you hear it. And, uh, that just happens when you're talking with people across the country on a single line. So without further ado, here is
0: board chats. And now it's time for Board Chats, presented by Concert Golf Partners. A behind-the-scenes look inside real boardrooms with special guest, Peter Nanula.
1: Welcome to another edition of Board Chats presented by Concert Golf Partners. We chat with actual board members and staff of equity member-owned clubs. It's real-world experiences inside the club boardroom dealing with board strategy and management issues. And it's your behind-the-scenes look Right into the boardroom, brought to you every month by Concert Golf Partners, who bring capital and operating expertise to preserve and enhance private clubs. I'm joined by Peter Nanula. Peter, how are you today?
2: Doing great here in sunny Newport Beach.
1: Yeah, nice weather. And uh, are you doing any surfing out there, Peter?
2: <laughs> not, not, not this time of year. But I guess some <laughs> people are. <laughs>
1: uh, how are things going over at Concert Golf Partners? What's new over there?
2: Yeah, things are good. Uh, two weeks ago, we. Recapitalized another member-owned club down in Venice, Florida, not far from you, uh, called Plantation Golf and Country Club. It's a 36-hole club, great club. They host the LPGA Tour qualifier every year. Great amenities: golf, swim, fitness, tennis, and uh, pretty manageable debt. And I think a pretty well-run club by the board, but. Um, it's a combination of trying to figure out how to replace their aging members every year and knowing that there's billions of dollars of capital projects they have to keep funding and going back to their members for assessments on. Uh, you know, It's a pretty common set of challenges that
1: we, we're helping them with. Especially in that part of the world. So what are some of the ways that a concert comes in and does that?
2: I think most clubs know that attracting younger families is the key to their future success. But I think, you know, having a set of amenities, building a set of amenities that appeals to young families can be costly. Uh, number two, having the programming or activities it really stems from a whole culture of the club leadership to appeal to those younger families, knowing what they want, programming for it. Sometimes we just find that's harder, if, especially if your board is not, well represented by younger families to begin with, how do you even, how do you even build a culture like that at your club? And we're in a better position to do that all around the country.
1: Yeah. A lot of, I think a lot of clubs pay lip service to the, we want to be family friendly and, you know, then they don't really know how to go about it. But I've seen firsthand how concert comes in, um, and, and really does change the ethos of a club. And, uh, my hat's off to you guys for doing that. Yeah thanks we're trying yeah so i'm excited to bring on our featured guests mr joe abley and dave duvall of club board professionals uh, we've had them on the show in the past but if you don't know both joe and dave are certified public accountants and they've both served on re- their respective uh, boards for over a decade um so dave and joe welcome to the show gentlemen all
3: right uh, thanks gabe. thanks very much gabe yeah thank you peter
1: yeah so for folks that maybe haven't um, heard about you guys or didn't listen to the episode that you were on, because it's been probably a year and a half or so since you've been on the show, I'd love for you just to give a little uh, history on club board professionals and, and why you started the business.
3: Uh, Dave and I were both long-serving board members of our respective clubs. Uh, I was Brayburn in Newton, Mass. Uh, David's Charles River in Newton, Mass. And Queech- The Queechee Club in queechy Vermont. Uh, where we really help lead our clubs through some transformative times. Uh, when we got to the end of our terms, uh, we decided that uh, we were going to take what we learned, uh, and a lot of it was learned the hard way, uh, and try to apply it uh, to other clubs. Dave, do you want to enhance it? No, I think you covered it. I mean, we
4: just wanted to uh and uh, allow other boards and clubs to benefit from what took us a long time to learn to try and accelerate that learning curve. Because as you know, most board members don't serve very long. And by the time they know much of anything, um, it's time for them to move on. Uh, so we tried to accelerate that learning curve.
1: Absolutely. You guys have had a lot of success in the industry and really made some inroads pretty quickly, I would say. How'd you guys go about doing that when it's when it's kind of a tough tough nut to crack sometimes?
4: Early on, uh, recognized that there was a lot to learn about the industry, and we established a pair group of clubs, about a dozen of the best performing clubs um, in the greater Boston area. Uh, We met regularly with the GMs and other treasurers, sometimes other officers and controllers, um, and we shared a good deal of information. Uh, So uh, we learned a lot from others, and that was incredibly valuable. Uh, From that, uh, took a long, uh, a consistent long-term approach and develop long-term financial plans that boards and members understood. Um, and in doing that, we focused on funding a long-term plan, not project-by-project financing. Project-by-project financing will get you in trouble. Yeah. Um, we also benefited by having good succession planning at our clubs and the fact that Joe and I served on boards for a very long time by most club standards. And, you know, vice presidents typically moved into the president's spot you know, I served on the board for a long time, treasurer for six years. our secretary, for instance, was secretary for ten years. Uh, so we had a lot of institutional knowledge built in at the board level. Uh, we used debt judiciously, um, and we matched the revenue source to the debt service and bond redemption requirements. So we had good visibility a long way out. Admissions certainly increased by all of the capital improvements that we made, but the members were. Excited about it, and they could help sell the vision to the prospective members. So I think that's about it. But I think that the over-arching, um element for both Joe and I was we expanded the capital base. We define capital base as the net fixed assets, and we focused heavily on maintaining what we had, um, broadening the offerings, improving the off op- uh, the offerings, um, and attracting young families and That was the
1: key to our success. Yeah. What was the the result in your clubs once you went through that process?
4: At ours, the initiation fee, we were able to nail it um, over time. Um, We have a very young membership now. I think the average age now is probably under 50. um, And admissions have never been stronger. Wow.
1: How about you, Joe?
3: In our club, it was pretty much the the
4: same thing.
1: We did not have
3: a waiting list. Uh, back in the early 2000s for a variety of reasons. Most of it was facility and amenity driven. Uh, the golf course was a mess, but we hired a, a green superintendent from another club that actually, he did a terrific job there on a lower budget. So when he came to us, it was like he died and went to heaven. Uh, so we didn't have to invest anymore for him to fix up the golf course. And that allowed us to enhance uh, the pool. It allowed us to rebuild the dining facilities improve the tennis
2: hmm.
3: um and what the point now where we have a nice problem at grayburn is a pinch point at the pool and how do you address that so all is good nice. but it was it was really amenity and program driven
1: wow. very cool well i'd love to um go over some of the board challenges your top 10 board challenges that you have because you've now worked with boards all over the country and i'm sure you're seeing a lot of trends what would be, in your minds, gentlemen, some of the biggest challenges that boards face for today? Sure. Um,
4: I'd say maintaining and improving the capital base for um, changing demographics, typically younger, um, presents problems for a lot of clubs. Getting the succession planning thing done right is a challenge for many clubs. Aligning cap, uh, committee efforts with long-term plans uh, can be a challenge. If you give committees a couple of hours a month to meet, without a strong charge each year, they will find something to do. It may not be exactly what you want them to do. Um, most clubs give lip service to board orientations, um, and they really fail to transfer um, institutional knowledge forward. Um, and if you're in a kind of a restart mode or jump ball every time you get a new administration, uh, you typically don't end up with a great result. Um, and it puts the GMs in a very difficult position. Um, Board sometimes come in it's their time to lead and they put their head down and focus on very near term again boards sometimes get involved in the minutia um, to the detriment of the club and we prefer to see focus on the balance sheet and policy planning and problems and let management focus on day-to-day operations and the P&L once the budget is set i think many clubs uh, think they have done it this way for 100 years or 50 years or 30 years um, but they fail to recognize that they don't know what they don't know. And there's a lot to learn from others. And getting their heads around that can be a challenge for them. And with that comes learning best practices. And I know Joe has a couple of things to add to the list.
3: Yeah, I mean, to, to me, is, is we've looked at clubs and we do our best practices audit. And for a lot of the clubs that have a 990s, we then look at their answers matching up to their financial results. And we've looked at over 100 clubs. Really, understanding the use of debt in a club need, that needs to be judicious and part of a long-term financial plan that addresses all of the capital needs. So a lot of these clubs add the debt, don't have an additional source. You might think that additional members will pay for it. We know that clubs don't scale with more members. The more life cards you need, the more service you need. Uh, and you know that you're not going to get a profit out of F- F&B to pay
4: for uh,
3: uh, these services. And the other thing we've seen is where clubs are experiencing financial success, whether or not driven by debt, there are some boards that determine that a change in the general manager will solve things. You know, our advice is before changing managers of a, cl- uh, of a club, take a look, at, if the boards should look at their financial position, they don't, they don't generally don't look that inwardly.
1: Mm, yeah. Well, that's great advice. How does that knowledge get disseminated from board to board? What's the best practices for that?
3: We found during our term that there were four or five people, uh, including myself and some others, that were really involved with the club and uh, working with the manager, coming up with a strategic plan, executing the strategic plan. At our club, the treasurer uh, and secretary bylaws can stay on. And we do that specifically for the purpose of institutional knowledge going forward. We also pick people that are going to be the future leaders of the club. So even though they're in terms of four years, in the club world, some of them will step off, but we'll bring back again after a year. Not everybody, just a selected few members so that you continue to have a, a fresh and vibrant board but with the institutional knowledge that's kind of necessary to pass on to the new members of the board, the committees, and the membership.
4: At, at Charles River, um, the governance model is slightly different. You serve a one, an unlimited number of one-year terms. So as long as you're doing a go- good job and the members want you back and the nominating committee put your name up on the slate, you can stay in seat forever. I happen to like that model. If you can get solid people in some key roles and keep them a long time, it benefits the club turnover, confuses a lot of things, and typically impedes uh, consistent progress.
2: Hold on one sec, Dave. I, I just want to bear down on this bylaw question because you guys are both referring to the bylaws at Braeburn and, and Charles River as being kind of important in how your board is constituted and how you guys governed your club. And mm-hmm. you know, we're, we're working with a, a club right now that has bylaws dating back 40 or 50 years and And that those bylaws that were drafted up that govern how you get your equity back when you resign is choking this club and it always strikes me because we can walk in with a magic wand and fix all their problems because we can make new for a club for the modern era, but a lot of equity clubs struggle and seem to view their bylaws as sort of this this fixed set of documents that could never be changed, and so I guess I would put it to you two guys that are board experts. Um, have you ever gone to a club and helped them basically to amend their bylaws to, to get rid of old old bylaws that are getting in the
4: board's way? Yes. Um, and it varies by club. Some clubs are, as you described, that, you know, those are permanent documents. Um, or in some cases, boards say, oh, we can never change our bylaws. The members should never go for it. Um, and sometimes when you go to the numbers, they're a lot more understanding than you give them credit for, and they go with the updates. But it's really a club specific uh, topic. Um, yeah, but I one agree. Of with the- you, many clubs have dug in. It's the third rail. We don't want to touch the bylaws. The members would never do it this way. And sometimes they're wrong.
3: Yeah, I mean, we've seen clubs that where there's disaffected members and they actually push for changes to the bylaws to further. Tie up the board of directors and the management of the club, which is the wrong way to go. You know, the bylaws should be fairly simple, which at Braver and they are, and they have been updated over the years to address fraud and things. But for instance, at Braver and there are member bonds for all members that were admitted through 1999 or 2000. How those get repaid is in the hands of the board, not governed by the bylaws. Very
1: important. How did you guys start uh, working with Concert Golf? Um, I was driving to a client
3: in Pennsylvania. My phone rang, and it was Peter.
1: <laughs> nice.
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> and how'd that yeah, conversation true. go? Uh,
3: you know, uh, it went It went good. We're I had I just, I, I just taken a break and got a coffee at Starbucks to make the rest of the ride and my phone rang. <laughs> it was <a> great conversation. <laughs> We've been trying to look for ways to further work together because we all see the same things.
2: Yeah, Gabe, we, uh, we, we both go into these boardrooms all over the country. equity Clubs, we're both kind of in the same business in that way. And, uh, you know, we bring a capital plus a management solution for these clubs. And Joe and Dave bring a consulting-oriented approach that really helps these boards. But when you sort of go down the list of our observations are, it literally sounds like the same list of issues that we see and so we thought boy what if we could kind of share contacts at clubs share ideas and and help out more clubs than we're doing alone
1: it sounds like the perfect partnership yeah. that you guys have going
2: you know one of the things that i see when i go into these boardrooms is i would call it myopia right the the company boards that i've sat on you know you 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 end up on the board of a company because you're an expert in XYZ that's super relevant to the industry you're in. Otherwise, you wouldn't even be on the board. Uh, in, the, in the club business, it's obviously people volunteering to be on the board. Some people have some financial acumen. and One of the things I keep missing is is a certain lack of knowledge of the competitive clubs in your town or in best practices that other people are employing at other clubs, and you guys mentioned that, this seems to be kind of a myopia. So I guess the question is, how could we get to the point where 100 out of 100 board members I meet with don't say the same thing? We have the best golf course in the state. We have the best superintendent in the state. Our dues rates are very competitive and right in market. And every time we go and look at the bowl clubs and look around, it's not the best superintendent in the state. Their dues rates are not competitive with the market. And I keep wondering, why doesn't the board know this?
4: If, if either of our organizations are talking to the boards, there's a good chance they've stumbled. Um, and I think that you can say those comments that you just made, that we're hearing these same comments from every club that we go to. Um, but we peel the onion back, and you see the lack of financing for long term, and you see the lack of a strategic plan, and you see the lack of succession planning you can tick it off. And we do have a, you know, this is a bit of a plug if I can do that. We do have a best practice audit and it's a bit of a diagnostic tool, and it's been very eye-opening for these board members to help them
3: see what they don't know. Yeah, when, when, when Dave mentioned it at the beginning, when we were both treasurers, Dave had the idea of a peer group of clubs getting everybody together uh, to to share information and best practices. And the rules were You had to come and share your documents where you couldn't participate. What we found out is that even though all these clubs are very geographically close, we didn't compete with one another, uh, and the information was fairly free-flowing. So as an example, uh, you know, you took a look at a club that had a capital assessment uh, to fund forward capital expenditures, not backwards ones. So you put money in the bank. Everybody looked around and said, you know what? That's a pretty good idea, and they all adopted it. And I think if clubs around the country had peer groups that would include a treasurer, president, general manager, they'd be often less, myopic.
2: Yep, spot on.
3: Boards typically spend a
4: lot of time on whatever paperwork's put in front of them. If you put a P&L in front of the board, that's what they're going to talk about. But you spend an enormous amount of time talking about timing differences within a year. That well, we budgeted this for February, but it's going to happen in May now. And then you get over to May and it's like, well, we budgeted for February, but it's hitting now. And we try and get them to focus on are we on plan or off plan for the full year and let the general manager, treasurer, and controller answer that question. If you're on plan for the year, great, move on. You don't need to spend a half an hour or 45 minutes on, you know, we missed the F&B budget for February for reasons that should be pretty clear.
2: Yep. Very good advice. Absolutely. Yeah, you know, you got this, is Peter. You guys mentioned another thing that I see all the time, and that is the board's role being strategy, long-term strategy, and the general manager and staff's role being day-to-day operations of the club. And that seems intuitive to us because right? I've sat on a lot of corporate boards mm-hmm. where corporate boards never spend time asking about, you know, things like the cell phone policy or denim and whatnot, right? Your general manager is supposed to be running the business on a day-to-day basis, right? And so uh, a funny story, a guy called me who I know from sort of corporate America. He said, I'm going to be in Newport Beach. Let's have a drink. What's on your mind? He said, "Uh, well, you know, our club has all these same issues that you guys just ticked off. And uh, what would you recommend, Peter, if you were here? But just putting myself in your guys' consulting seat, you know, I told them very simply after hearing their issues, you know what you really need to do is you need to hire a good new GM, because I think they were in between GMs at the time, and you need to have that person be the CEO of your club, and you need to get your board to stick to strategy like like a corporate board. If you just do that, Five or seven of these other issues you just mentioned will be dramatically improved. So they ended up hiring a GM that, that I know, in the industry is kind of a leading, you know, CCM type of a guy. And uh, they had very quiet conversations amongst the board without him in the room saying, guys, we're going to strict the strategy like a corporate board. We're not going to get involved in these day-to-day operational issues and get in his way. And, uh, you know, six months later, he called me and said, Peter, <laughs> best thing we ever did. We we have a real uh, GM who's acting as a CEO running our club. He's made a radical turnaround at our club, and our board members are thrilled. We just stick to the long-term business plan of the club. The meetings are shorter. We don't get into the minutia and the emotional, personal issues, and our club is on a definite upward trend. And I keep thinking... Well, why don't most boards do this? Because most of these board members I meet, they're on the boards of companies in their regular lives, and they know how boards are supposed to work.
1: Right. <laughs> exactly. It's, it's I, you know, I, I, I,
3: I think, I, you know, to me, kind of observe this uh, with my successors, is that uh, when members start, you know, crawling up their backside, they react to it. Uh, And then that gets you from strategy and operations. Uh, Where I had a tendency to just hand it back to Sean, who was the general manager, and lo and behold, he handled it. But, you know, sometimes those emails cause cause reactions, even though, you know, it's not statistically significant. It's just somebody that's pissed off about something.
4: And I'd say the other difference, aboard in Pope America, your members are both your shareholders, and your customers. Um, so it gets a little trickier sometimes.
1: That's right. It's a com- yep. completely different uh, dynamic that's going on in boardrooms for sure, private clubs. Gentlemen, I, I know we could go on all day long. I've really enjoyed the the discussion, just listening to you guys go back and forth and all the experiences that you've had. Um, Dave and Joe, folks want to find out more about you guys and what you do. How do they go about doing that? com. That's fantastic. Thank you guys so much for lending your expertise for all these years in the boardroom. And Peter, thank you for coming on once again here on Private Club Radio's board chats. Always great talking with you, sir.
2: Yeah, thanks, Gabe.
1: Well, that's going to do it for this episode of Private Club Radio. And I hope you have a wonderful, productive week. I'll catch you back here next time. And until then, here's to your membership
0: success. Private Club Radio is brought to you by Concert Golf Partners, helping to preserve and enhance private golf and country clubs. Concert Golf has the capital, expertise, and private club hospitality experience to help upscale private clubs, achieving long-term success and membership growth. For 25 years, Concert Golf has allowed private club members to focus on simply enjoying their club. Visit concertgolfpartners.com to learn more about the recapitalization process.